0: You could say it's deja vu for House Republicans. They have roughly the same amount of members as they did two years ago, and a big opportunity to enact seismic policy change. Leading the charge is Elijah Har, who is taking over as Speaker of the Missouri House. Har joins us on another edition of Politically Speaking to preview the 2019 session, so let's hit the music. is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together.
1: I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money.
0: And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, Jason Rosenbaum, a reporter with St. Louis Public Radio. We are coming taped, or live, I don't know, from the Speaker of the House's office and... Because we're in this office, naturally, our special guest today is?
1: Elijah Hart, Speaker of the House.
0: Yeah, it was not going to be like the Senate President Pro Tem. Otherwise, I think there'd be a constitutional crisis or something (laughs) like that. Um, thank you for, for, for doing this. I think this is the first time we've ever done one of these shows face-to-face. You've always had to
1: do remote ones. Right. I did a remote one, I think, three years ago, and I was in a upstairs room in the in, in one of the Senate offices. Yes. And then you did one from
0: KSMU Studios right after That's you right. were elected speaker. That's right. And uh, I like doing those shows, but I also like doing the face-to-face shows because it's it's easier to know when somebody is finishing their sentence. So... You were elected as the Speaker of the House officially yesterday. This was not a surprise. You had a leadership election in 2017 to kind of avoid the divisive leadership fights that usually come. Um, what were for people that didn't hear your speech? What were the main themes, and what are some of what are some of the things you really wanted to uh, push forward as this ceremonial but important moment in in your career came forward?
1: Well, w- w- I avoided getting into very specific policy ideas or anything like that, because what I really want to do is talk more in a general sense about um, what makes our state unique and great and what makes our legislature unique and great, um, and and then what opportunities are afforded to Missourians. Um, So we talked a lot about why our state, uh, we have the fourth largest legislature in the country. People know their representatives in our state. They know them very, very well. Um, And because of that, we are truly the people's voice on the floor. Um, and that was a – I think it's it, – it, we have a unique body in that regard and that we are so close to the voters that, that we get to – you know, you see them at church, you see them at the grocery store, you see them at the restaurant. Um, you you don't get to escape anywhere. Um, and, and so whatever we do up here on a daily basis, we know, number one, we will see our constituents on the weekend. Number two, because of term limits, we go home when we're done here. And then number three, because of having two-year terms, will face the voters very quickly. And so we're very accountable to the citizens of Missouri, and that's that. That's a very unique position for our body to be in.
0: I, I know this might seem like a, an, an odd question, but, you know, Republicans hold commanding supermajorities in the House and Senate. They could pretty much pass anything they want without a single Democratic vote. But I know your predecessor, former House Speaker Todd Richardson, made it a point to try to involve Democrats in the legislative process and allow them to contribute to some pretty major pieces of legislation. Uh, What's going to be your philosophy when it comes to the minority party? Because when when the numbers were closer, especially in the mid-2000s, it was very partisan and often Democrats had almost no opportunity to contribute. As I think that the Republican majority has expanded, there's been a little bit of a, a More, more uh, effort among Republicans to allow Democrats to participate. So, I'd be interested in your philosophy on that. Well,
1: a lot of it depends on the issue. Um, You know, one of the things I talked about in the speech yesterday uh, was sentencing reform, criminal justice reform. Obviously, that is an issue that, particularly, it's kind of a new wave Republican issue. We see a lot of that on the federal level, um, and and I think. You'll see it here on the state level. But that's an issue that a lot of Democrats are pretty passionate about, particularly um, those from within the Black Caucus. And I think involving them in those discussions early on makes the makes the legislation stronger and you just naturally build allies on 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 both sides of the aisle that later on when you get into more partisan fights maybe it takes the tinge off off some of the 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 nature of of what you're doing
0: so I want to talk about the criminal justice overhaul aspect of your speech. I know that there's not a lot of specifics yet you probably have to go through the legislative process on on something as important as sentencing and and just changing the criminal justice system, you you don't want to go through this willy-nilly. But what are you kind of thinking on that topic that you want to pursue? I think you mentioned sentencing overhaul. So like- last year,
1: last year, Representative Cody Smith had had a reform bill, and and the House actually passed it unanimously, which is almost unheard of um, for that happening on, on a piece of legislation. The Senate never took it up, but it's something that we want to go back to this year. Uh, I know Representative Dogan has some ideas. You look on the national level, uh, obviously the the First Step Program in the in, in Congress has been. Discussed a lot. And so I think there's just the philosophy on this issue is, is somewhat twofold. Um, on the front side, we have a, an incredibly expensive correction system. And on the back side, when you have nonviolent offenders in jail being paid for by Missouri taxpayers. Who would like to be out of jail and working um, and are not a threat to society we need to provide that path as quickly and as early as possible because you 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 receive the benefit on two sides of that aisle and and there's also a human benefit to those people Um, we don't we don't need those people wasting away in a jail not seeing their families not seeing uh, not being productive members of society we need to give them that path back so that we can we can build off that you know, just in the last couple of years, Texas has done a huge er, uh, resensing reforms. Um, and they're starting to see the economic impact of that. More humanity aside, they're seeing a, a, a big dollar impact. Um, and so I, I think it's a good issue. I think it's a good issue for both Republicans and Democrats to work on. I think it's a good issue for the state.
0: Now, the elephant in the room, kind of, is Missouri just legalized medical marijuana. And I'm sure that there are statutes on the books about marijuana possession or even distribution, that could still land somebody in jail. And there's also the other elephant in the room that Illinois is probably going to legalize recreational marijuana in the next year or two. So it's kind of a two-part question. Does uh, decriminalizing marijuana fall into that basket of sentencing quote-unquote reform? And number two, could you see the legislature taking a serious look at legalizing recreational marijuana, especially if you want to get ahead of a potential ballot initiative that failed to happen with medical marijuana? So let's start with question number one first.
1: Well, now, the, the, the the second question is the one I was going to start with first. Okay, because, so let's start well, with the second question Because first. the question of what's the legislature going to do on, on legalizing recreational marijuana, I, I, I'm disinclined to think the legislature is going to do that. Um... And I say that I probably am a little bit more a libertarian on this issue. Now, full disclosure: as a homeschooled kid, I've, I've never actually smoked marijuana in my life. Never tried an edible. But I also know that that the the, the current laws, in my mind, I'm, I'm fairly libertarian on that. When I chaired the Emerging Issues Committee, I think we were the first committee ever to pass a medicinal marijuana bill out. We actually passed it out. I think ten to one, two years in a row, it died on the floor. So I'm probably a little bit more more libertarian on this issue than a lot of my colleagues. That said, I think there's a lot of concern among them about how far we go with with legalizing recreational. They want to see how these other states do, what the impact of of other states doing it is, um, and so I think probably for the next two years, what we're going to focus on is the implementation of the current medicinal marijuana um, rules, because I think there's a lot of questions about how that works um, and particularly what the impact will be. Where, are we going to have doctors writing scripts to just anybody who asks for them, or is it going to be fairly limited? You know, we're, we're going to kind of have to see how that plays out over the next two years, and there's going to be obviously a lot of administrative rules that will go around that.
0: Uh, what about on the, on the sentencing side? Do you think that that could be an area where where it, again, marijuana possession, maybe the penalties are relaxed, if not if not completely eliminated.
1: I think that's certainly going to be part of the discussion.
0: Yeah. Let's talk about another issue that uh, Governor Parson has brought up, and that's early childhood education, which is an issue that, I mean, Democrats kind of bring it up, but I'm sure Republicans care about this too, because a lot of Republicans represent rural school districts that cannot afford free preschool to a lot of people. Um, when I was talking with the governor in December, he mentioned that Finding a state funding source for early childhood education was part of his workforce development agenda. I think that everyone agrees that it's a good idea, but the tricky part is figuring out the funding source because you can't really just put general revenue into something like this. Let's say let's say the state revenue went up by six percent this year. I know it's two, but and you use like two hundred million dollars of that increase to go to early childhood education. Well, if the next year revenue goes down you're leaving a lot of districts in the lurch, so it's going to have to be a different funding source. I've heard sports betting. I've heard uh, tax on out-of-state internet sales possibly being a revenue source. What have you heard, and is it going to be a big part of the House Republican agenda?
1: You know, uh, I everybody asks what our agenda was this year, and I always break it down into two buckets. There's the reform bucket and the revenue bucket. Now, the revenue bucket is the most interesting because, as you said, the CRE points out we're going to raise We're going to have 2% more next year than we had this year, so so we're going to have a little bit more that we can work with. But the Supreme Court has also given us two opportunities to generate additional revenue from the Wayfair decision, but then also from the the sports gambling decision. I don't know yet where our caucus is going to go on either of those issues, because there's a big debate on the Wayfair decision. Everybody believes in parity between brick-and-mortar and and online purchase. Everybody. Where we're having issues is is the revenue. A lot of our conservative members think that we should give the, those dollars back to the citizens of the state, that we should not earmark them or spend them in a particular way, um, and so that's a, that's an ongoing caucus decision that, that or a caucus question that I'm not sure where we're going to be on that. Um, as for the sports gaming, it, it's somewhat similar. The casinos and leagues have been at loggerheads on this issue, and and the interesting thing is, both of them have postured for years that they don't want legalized sports betting. And, and so what I've told both the leagues and the casinos while they fight over their um, integrity fees is I said, you know, if, if you all cannot come to an agreement, we're not going to put this on the floor because both of you have publicly stated you don't want to pass a bill. Uh, candidly, I think both of them think that it'd be beneficial to pass a bill. They just need to be... Pushed in a direction that they can, that they can figure out a path that, that they're both happy. Are, are
0: you saying that casinos are, are wary about sports betting because less people will go to casinos and just bet from their home? So essentially, there's some
1: discussion about where the sports betting would occur, but also um, the the you know the leagues, at least in some states, have been have been asking about having an integrity fee. The casinos are are hesitant to provide that, and so they've basically been across the country going going to war in different states, and that's just not a war we're going to let play out on the house floor.
0: So, um, transportation, the question that everybody gets asked year after year after year, um, there was something that was put on the ballot with a gas tax increase that failed. I mean, this is more of an observation than a question before I ask the question. There's always this talk about what is the legislature going to do about transportation? And really, the legislature can put something up for a vote, most likely, but... It's up to the people to decide whether they want to pay more gas tax or sales tax for this. Now, obviously, there are situations where you can raise the gas tax very small without voter approval. But I guess going into the question, has there been any discussions of coming up with a transportation proposal that will actually pass muster among Missouri voters? Because that seems to be the the, the vexing challenge throughout this whole thing.
1: Well, let's start with the obvious. Uh, The Missouri voters voted down a sales tax four years ago, they voted down a gas tax last year. Uh, The Missouri voters have been very clear with the legislature that they don't want to pay more money, and we respect that. If we're going to do something in transportation, there's a couple options. One, um, we're going to have to reallocate the resources we currently have. And that means finding a place to cut while we spend more there. Two, there, there's always a possibility, and and maybe I'm too optimistic on this front, but I think uh, and the U.S. House, the Democratic U.S. House, does not want to spend two years just not doing anything because they don't like President Trump. The one thing they agree on is infrastructure, and I think President Trump has signaled that he would like to spend money on it. I think the U.S. House would. I think there's a really decent possibility the next year. The president and the U.S. House come together, and they pass a a federal infrastructure plan. Missouri would be right in the wheelhouse to get a lot of that money with 44 and 49 and 70 running through our states. So I think there's a real possibility of that happening. The third option is, is again, earmarking some of these new funds. So whether it be the Wayfair decision or sports betting, expansion to VLTs, um, FRA managed care. like There's just a variety of different revenue-generating packages out there there are at least a few people that have said, let's earmark that money for transportation. What's VLTs, by the way? Video lottery terminals. Oh, okay. Um, this is something that, that actually generates a significant amount of money in Illinois, and so there's there's some of them have wanted the opportunity to expand in Missouri. These would be small terminals that would go in gas stations. Oh, here, I've seen them. Here.
0: I'm from I'm from Illinois. I've, I see them in gas stations, but I, I, I appreciate you spelling that acronym out.
1: Well, it's, it's something that I, I've not had an experience with. But I know there's, there's at least been somewhat of a discussion point about doing it, and, and at least the numbers in Illinois are fairly sig- significant in the amount of uh, revenue it generates.
0: So let's talk about the, the, the thornier issue, which is dealing with all these voter-approved initiatives. Now, my, my feeling from, ta- from hearing your answers to this question and also talking with pro-tem shots is there's not a lot of appetite to revisit right to work, certainly on a statewide level. Obviously, there's kind of like middling discussions about doing it county by county, but it really strikes me as a paradigm shift in this discussion. In 2017, you would have asked any legislator here, is Right to Work happening? It wasn't a matter of if, it was a matter of when. Now, after the defeat of Right to Work at the polls, it seems Republicans are not as gung-ho on pursuing that particular policy, probably because it failed so dramatically. So... What is going to be the House mindset on this issue? Because I could really see some some skittishness to kind of rewake wake up the sleeping giant of labor and, and bring this back up. So I'd be interested in your take on that. Well,
1: obviously, uh, I think Republicans are, are – we, we listen to the voters. And the voters were very clear in, in that vote where they were on the issue of right to work. Now, I have my personal opinions. I think right to work is economically a big benefit to the state. But the, the citizens of Missouri spoke, and we're going to follow that. Um, and that was a very single-syllable issue. That, the, the, there was nothing on, on in that particular bill other than right to work. And so uh, the, the voters weighed in. We respect the will of voters. We move forward, and we do the best we can without that.
0: Do you think that – you mentioned in your press conference yesterday you may take a look at doing right to work county by county. But isn't that going to run into some pretty substantial obstacles in the Senate, uh, especially with the filibuster, in your, in your opinion?
1: Well, and, and here's the thing about that. I, I don't know of anyone that has actually pre filed any legislation to do a county-by-county county, uh, right-to-work discussion in the House. Um, if it, if they do file it, we'll refer it to committee and we'll let that issue be vetted. Um, but at that point, it, it, this is so early in the conversation, I just don't know of anybody that's even even wanting to, to walk down that path.
0: Now, now, one of the other issues that passed overwhelmingly was a minimum wage increase, and I have heard pretty much radio silence from Republicans on that. It's not that Republicans were super enamored with it going up to $12 an hour by 2023. It's just that, I mean, even the opponents decided not to put up an oppositionary campaign. It passed by a huge margin, and it wasn't, as we said, a single-subject thing that was pretty clear. Yes. So is that another issue where the legislature just may let that stand and just see how it plays out over the next few years? I'm.
1: I, I think our caucus is disinclined to to, to go back and try to undo that in any way. Obviously, we, we're going to see, I think, an economic crunch um, from a lot of businesses that will decide they, they either stop hiring or the, or they have to let some people go because they can't afford to, to, to pay whatever wages it is. The interesting thing about minimum wage, it's not just the minimum wage. If, if you make $12 an hour now when the minimum wage is $8 an hour, you move the minimum wage from eight to twelve. Well, that twelve-dollar-hour an hour worker now he wants sixteen, and, and so th- there is somewhat of a, a, a replicating effect on those higher-wage jobs. And so businesses are just gonna—we're just gonna have to see how that works. Uh, the city of Seattle was was really on the front wave of this, um, moving theirs to fifteen dollars an hour. I, I think there's been some pretty strong economic backlash to that in the city of Seattle. A lot of businesses there have closed or moved outside the city limits. Um, and so we'll just have to see how that plays out in Missouri. Because
0: by 2023, $12 an hour may be equal to $8 an hour, or it may, the market may have just caught up to that and it's not gonna be a big economic crunch. I understand what you're saying, I've studied this issue, but the fact that it's so gradual could mean it's really not gonna affect businesses. A lot that just much.
1: depends on on what the inflation rate is like.
0: So let's talk about the fun, the, the, the funnest amendment of all, and that's Amendment 1. I want to start with the sunshine law part of it before we get to the redistricting part. Well,
1: and that, the, just by just by the, the, the way you explained yeah. it, that, that's probably the best part about Amendment 1 is yeah. that it truly was multiple different issues in, all rolled into one. And that yeah. is what makes it so hard to glean what the will of the voters was is which part were they most excited about or which part were they least excited about. or Did they think it was all good? Did they think parts of it were good? Mm-hmm. It's a really challenging thicket to to work your way through.
0: Even describing it, like you have to say it's a partial repeal of the redistricting part of of, of Amendment 1, which we'll get to in a minute. So I'm going to make the same statement I made to Crystal Quaid and Dave Schatz. I have no interest in sunshining your constituents' emails and posting their sensitive information publicly. It has no news value, and it, it kind of runs up against journalistic ethics about doing harm to non-public figures. So I under- if you guys like decide to close those records, it is not going to affect my livelihood or not or my job more more accurately. What I think a lot of journalists have some some tension and misgivings about is some of the bills that have been put forward close the legislative process. So so a staffer sending a draft of a bill to a legislator, a legislator talking to a legislator about legislation I I have, I mean, just fundamentally as a journalist, I have misgivings about that because I feel like that sort of stuff should be open, even if you're trying strategically to not necessarily expose your strategy to people. So I want to get a sense of what your thought process is, because this is one area, even Clean Missouri proponents agree, the legislature can make changes to, and they're not necessarily opposed to making changes on the constituent piece, but I know that they're opposed on the legislative case
1: it's a very delicate dance and this is it's, it's a fine line to try to find what where that right spot is but here's a good example of, of maybe a concern one of the duties of the speaker is to appoint committee members and committee chairs uh, a lot of times I, I may want to discuss with my my chief of staff okay I'm trying to decide between the, these two or three candidates for a particular chairmanship which one do you think is the best and why well if the if the chief of staff tries to explain why one is best, they're also saying why the other one is not as good. If, if that gets sunshine, obviously, you're going to have then a caucus being like, well, wh- why did you say I wasn't you know, smart about this? Or why did you say I wasn't talented enough for this? And it, 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 it causes real problems. So you it is very difficult to have those candid conversations about making decisions within, the, within our caucus, within the House, within the, the processes we follow.
0: Uh, but couldn't you have that conversation... I'm not tell- I'm not trying to give you a an end around the sunshine sure. law but couldn't you have those conversations verbally and not put those down in an email form
1: like and you could again though the the point of what's an email form versus what's verbal the question is what stuff is is it that we think are, are beneficial for the public to to be able to access to and I think you're right you you and, and what this will force is a lot of in-person conversations. People are going to stop uh, making notes, and they're going to say, hey, pick up the phone and call me, and I think that's just a product of, of this type of thing. But there's some conversations that I think it's very hard to have those knowing, okay, everyone's going to see this when you're trying to make those, those types of decisions.
0: Just to play devil's advocate, though, a lot of other executive agencies are under these rules where some of these discussions are Absolutely. open records so right. why should the legislature have be any different basically
1: and, and, and i'm not saying that we necessarily should i'm just pointing out some of the the ways we're transitioning from from how the old law was to what the new law is
0: so let's talk about the redistricting part and i want to make this clear the legislature neither the legislature nor the governor can wave a magic wand and make the re- new state legislative redistricting system disappear anything that you put either a complete repeal or a change would have to go to the voters again, most likely in 2020. So I've asked you about this before. I know a lot of Republican legislators do not like the new redistricting system for various reasons. They see it as a Democratic plot to chip away at the supermajority. Um, but the thing that really hasn't become clear yet is like what you guys are gonna do, whether you're just gonna revert back to the old system, whether you're gonna make changes to the new system somehow. And because we haven't seen a bill yet, my assumption is, those discussions are ongoing, and you really don't have a plan yet. Is that fair to say, first well, of all?
1: Well, I think, first of all, I think I think you're right that you know the interesting thing about this is that um, if the redistricting portion of this le- uh, amendment was 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 going to be embraced by the voters, I think it would have been put on the ballot as a single subject bill. It wasn't. Instead, what they did is they took a lot of the ethics reforms that you know former Speaker Richardson was pushing, and they put that into the bill. And I think that's one of the reasons it became such a popular bill. So the question then is, did, did the voters of the state approve of the redistricting portions in, the, in this um, amendment? I don't know prior to this amendment passing... It, hardly anyone that thought the old system was not working other than uh, the party that was consistently losing elections under it. Now I think you know it was a bipartisan process. People appointed from both sides of the aisle, and if they were not able to do it, it fell to the judges. It seemed like it was a very bipartisan or nonpartisan way to draw legislative lines. Again, the only problem with it was the Democrats kept losing, and so I, I, I think that you know there's a reason that they went to, to do it. So I don't know yet at this point what um, if, if if a redistricting change was to be put on the ballot. I I don't know what that would look like. Um, but obviously our caucus wants to work across the aisle. The, the the Black Caucus has a lot of the same concerns because, you know, people want to know that their communities and their neighborhoods are represented by a voice that reflects them. One of the things with a, a forced 50-50 district is you're going to have have to take chunks of voters from one area and chunks of voters from a far different area to put them together to force these 50-50 districts. So that's the problem that I think both rural and urban lawmakers have with the redistricting portion. Now,
0: you could pass, you could put something on the ballot without a single Democratic vote, but do you think it's more important to maybe get some of the Black Caucus to vote for a revote on this so it's not seen like in Michigan and Wisconsin as a GOP, runaround, will will-of-the-people sort of thing?
1: Well, I also think that, that the the Black Caucus is as concerned about it as as a lot of the Republicans are. And so I think it just makes better policies when, you know, if if we're trying to give something to the voters and say, hey, you know, we want to know exactly how you want us to do this. Obviously, working across the aisle and working with people from the rural, suburban, and urban districts, I think, is very valuable.
0: Now, I mean, you mentioned the old system, and I could point out some deficiencies in the old system. I didn't like how the judges didn't have to explain their reasoning after they made their maps. I think that that was a lack of transparency, and it gave rise to conspiracy theories that legislator X caused this district Y to be district Z. I also think that there was... Th- I understand that the, it's a bipartisan commission, and it's not legislators doing it, but clearly, like, legislators tried to influence that process, you know, through testimony and committees. I'm not saying it's a perfect process. I'm not saying clean Missouri is a perfect solution. But even though, like, the ads didn't emphasize the redistricting part, There still was lots of articles on this. I asked the proponents oodles of questions on this, and it still passed. There was a debate, and they won. So they're going to ask, why should there be another vote on this if this has already been litigated in the public sphere?
1: And and if they think that on an issue or on an amendment that had multiple different issues, if they think that issue is so popular, they should not have any fear of the voters weighing in on it again. They should be like, no, we know where, where the voters are. The voters will pass it. The truth is... Both sides know that what the voters liked in it was a lot of the, the, the sunshine and, and restrictions on uh, or, or, or sunshine on, on lawmakers' records, the, uh, the restrictions on, on lobbyist gifts and the, the, the two-year ban. Those were the popular parts. We all know those were the popular parts, and those, that's why those parts were put in. I think having a candid conversation on redistricting and redistricting alone is really helpful for the state.
0: So a couple more topics before I let you go. Um, Your counterpart, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid, has uh, put forward legislation dealing with the Department of Revenue situation and and the whole tax snafu, which I'm sure you're aware about because you sponsored tax legislation last year. This seems like an issue. I know Democrats often have a difficult time getting things through the legislature, but this seems like there could be bipartisan consensus to give taxpayers that may were expecting a refund, but then have a, a, a bill that's due some sort of grace period or payment plan type thing. Have you had any discussions with the governor's office or any other members of your caucus about dealing with that particular issue legislatively?
1: I've not talked to the governor, um, nor have I talked to the minority leader about about her particular plan. Um, it's something obviously we're going to look at. Um, I, I want to see number one, as as revenue gets or as we get closer to that 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 uh, tax date, I want to see how how our revenues are tracking to see how the impact will be, and then two, what would be the financial impact of the state if we do delay those people paying their taxes? I, we would that that would also need to be factored in.
0: Um, another thing that comes to mind that the legislature could affect but may not decide to affect is there is going to likely be an initiative petition to merge the city of St. Louis with St. Louis County. Um, I know this is kind of a thorny issue among both caucuses because there are some Republicans that like this idea and some Democrats that like this idea. Um, but I think there are a lot of people in St. Louis and St. Louis County who are alarmed that this is going to be a statewide vote and not a vote of just the city and the county, and the one legislative response that I could potentially see is the legislature putting a corresponding constitutional amendment on the ballot that says this plan does not go into effect if the city and the county don't vote for it. So, number one, has your caucus had any discussions about this potential issue, and two, could you see a legislative response before 2020?
1: No, and maybe. Maybe. Because I don't know what those discussions would be.
0: Have you talked with any of the handlers of this about this this plan, I, just beyond what you've read in the newspaper? I've not. And but do you expect it to be a legislative issue over the next two years?
1: You know, obviously a lot of the representatives from the St. Louis County and St. Charles County area have have this issue's been percolating and they've been discussing it, but I, I have not had any conversations with them over the past couple weeks about this. Obviously, we just got through the holiday season and now we're just getting started with session. I presume over the next few weeks they'll come to me and say, "Here, here's where we would like to be on it, but at this point we've not had any of those discussions.
0: Low-income housing tax credits, an issue that everyone loves to, to talk about without a lot of action. The governor has said He's not going to restart the program unless the legislature passes a bill changing the program. And he obviously has the ability to do that because I think he has appointed a majority of people to the MHDC. Um, I know a lot of people support the low income housing tax credit. I've been to a lot of the, of the housing developments that have benefited from it and it's some of the best housing people will ever have. On the other hand, it's pretty clear that a lot of developers have made lots and lots of money off this program. um, and people, want it to be more efficient what's going to be your philosophy going through with this issue because there's pressure now that you have to get something done or it's not going to be issued so what's going to happen this year with that
1: so um representative david gregory has been really getting into the weeds on those programs he's looking at you know how we do it what other states do and i think he's probably going to be filing a bill um to to at least a House version of the reform bill. I think Senator Hageman has filed a Senate version of a reform bill, and and we'll just have to see how that works through the process. You know, we're tasked with being good stewards of the taxpayers' money, um, and at the same time, we we need to find ways to 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 house those people, um, and so it, it's a it's a. That's a delicate dance to have, and I think what we want to do is figure out, you know, if there are problems in the program, how do we fix and reform those problems? And what's the finished product look like that we can put on the governor's desk that the House and the Senate can be proud of?
0: And the Senator Schatz has said there's not going to be a lot of momentum in the Senate to, like, have a $280 million cap to make up for the fact there hasn't been issued for a year. Is that the sense of your caucus, that you're not going to issue double the tax credits?
1: Uh, that, been yeah, I, I, I don't think anybody's talking about that.
0: So my final question for you, um, we're recording this on Thursday, January 10th. It's the one-year anniversary of the 2018 State of the State, which was also the anniversary of the revelation of the Eric Greitens scandal that kind of engulfed the state's political class for four or five months. I, I know people want to pretend that never happened and just think that it was kind of like a bad Uh, nightmare, but it did happen. It affected the state and it affected the standing of the governorship. Most people I've talked to are relieved that Governor Person is in office because now it's more of a talk about policy, differing ideas, less about overtly political things that kind of were the hallmark of the Greitens administration from 2017 to 2018. But on this anniversary, how do you think things have changed over the last year? where do you think things haven't changed and where do you think the state needs to go after what I think everyone would agree is not the brightest moment in the state's political history.
1: Well, the interesting thing is that the difference between Governor Parson and Governor Greitens is let's do a scandal, but more uh, prior to the scandal, how Governor Greitens operated with the legislature. He had a very standoffish and combative approach with the legislature, and it made a lot of the work we did with him very, very difficult. Uh, Governor Parson has been a House member. He's been a Senate member. Um, so he understands what we're thinking, um, and, and he's been much more open about trying to work with us. And I think that's really valuable, uh, you know, he's going to do his state of the state fairly early in session. He's going to release his budget with it. Things like that, that Governor Gritens was not willing to do that, that put us in in a much more difficult position to deal with. And so I think more than anything, having that kind of open working relationship with the governor is very conducive to less combative, less fights and and really hopefully a much quieter veto session.
0: Yeah. Although I didn't, was wasn't the veto session during Greitens pretty quiet too? I mean Nixon was the loudest veto session. Right. In and you're
1: always gonna have one with with a with a party when you have a, a Democratic governor or a Republican legislature. But I think those types of issues, you know, we don't have to worry if if if, if we're trying to, to push a particular issue or a particular topic about a governor coming out and blasting us on social media and that just it creates a much better working relationship in this building.
0: Do you think things are better now or do you think that there's still things that need to be done as far as the environment? In Jefferson City, I know I, that's kind of a, a, a kind of a vague term, but you know that was an issue during Todd Richardson's uh, reign about making the making the capital comfortable for women and for staff. Absolutely, anything that you want to do on that front to push that forward.
1: Well, first of all, Representative or Speaker Richardson did significant. Reforms in that area, and I think you, if you walked around the halls and talked to, especially freshman legislators, um, I think you'll find a lot of them that see the Capitol as a much more friendly face for that. There's more things that we're going to do. Uh, one of the changes in the House rules is we're you know, we're talking about taking smoking out of uh, individual offices. A lot of that is just modernizing the Capitol, um, and, and so I think we've you know Speaker Richardson did a great job on that. Uh, one of the one of the things he um, changed about our rules is that there's mandatory harassment training. Um, we're all as legislators going to take that mandatory harassment training on Monday. I think mine's scheduled for one o'clock and you know those types of, of objective changes that can be seen every day lead to a lot of subjective uh, improvement in the culture here in the Capitol.
0: Well Mr. Speaker thank you very much for this opportunity. I'll try to make it a, a, a annual occurrence. You'll probably see me back in your, this office next year. Um, for all of our stories stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. You have like 700 Twitter. Do you only have one Twitter account? I am down
1: now? to one. I'm down to one. I used to have a personal and a professional, kind of like a lot of uh, Congress, Congress people do. And then I tried doing a, a, a Spanish-only Twitter account, but I am down to one Twitter account. I decided that it was too too much and too confusing.
0: And what would be the your... your uh outro music that you'd like to play us out on?
1: That's a good question. I should have been thinking about that, and I haven't thought about that. Well, the
0: one that I picked for you is Time to Dance by Panic at the Disco. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Until next time, so long.